many of us are thinking about food this week. Personally, I'm psyched to barbecue two turkeys with my brothers-in-law and make my mom's cranberry sauce. But for many who work in healthcare, that focus on food won't end after the holidays. It's going to keep coming up in boardrooms and doctor's offices across America. Right. We didn't wake up a few years ago and like, oh, my gosh, food matters to your health. Like, I think we know that and evidence has shown that over and over and over. Research shows food insecurity, where people struggle to get enough nutritious food, is associated with increased rates of heart disease, diabetes, depression and asthma. And for people with certain medical conditions, not getting the right foods can have disastrous consequences. Added up, and a lack of healthy food means billions a year in avoidable health care spending. When food is a form of medicine, should insurers cover it? From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Today on the show how doctors, hospitals, and even some insurance companies are trying to improve health through better eating. Hospitals from Minneapolis to Toledo to Nashville have food pharmacies on site where patients can fill prescriptions from their doctors. Having assistance like the food pharmacy is really important in Middle Tennessee. In Davidson County, there are nearly 100,000 residents dealing with food insecurity. In cities like Washington, D.C. and San Francisco, doctors give patients vouchers for grocery stores and farmers markets. There are even some hospitals that run their own organic gardens. Some may think that the healthcare system providing healthy food to sick and hungry people is the obvious and moral thing to do. But for many of these programs, the data, the actual evidence on their ability to improve our health is limited. There is one exception, medically tailored meals. All right, so I'm, uh, welcome to my house. Yeah, this is Desiree. Bubba Dime and his wife Desiree Allen share a tight two-bedroom apartment with their five-year-old son, and 16-month-old twins. Now they're exhausted, so that's the, that's the thing. Um, Booba and Desiree live a hectic life. They work full-time. We have three kids, and we're living in Boston. So that means we have a lot of pressures. I mean, we're trying to, like, make it every month, like pay rent, figure out child care. <laughs> and then there's Booba's heart. Essentially, my heart muscle um, never formed at birth, so it's a heart defect. Um, what that did is that over the years, the heart got bigger and bigger, uh, and it couldn't pump enough blood, so I ended up having heart failure. Today, the 33-year-old waits. Booba, who stands 6'8 and looks like he's a starting forward for the Boston Celtics, needs a new heart. He's in line for a transplant, and he has to stay healthy or risk getting kicked off the waiting list. But this young family has struggled to feed Booba so he can be as healthy as he needs to be. But if you ever look at the sodium <laughs> content of ragu, that's his like sodium limit for the day. As a cardiac patient, when you really sick, your margin is very small. So a small, you know, difference in, in the salt amount, for instance, can put you to bed or make you sick or very sick. Um, so uh, it's a big factor. At the beginning of the year, Booba started receiving medically tailored meals as part of his treatment. Medically tailored meals are controlling your diet in the midst of a health crisis. It's really about bringing them exactly what their doctor and their healthcare team need them to eat. David Waters is CEO of Community Servings. It's the organization that provides medically tailored meals to Booba and more than 2,000 other people across Massachusetts. When we show up at their house, we're bringing them a bag that includes lunch, dinner, and a snack for five days. Today we have 
split pea and uh, carrot soup. That's one of my favorites. Five homemade soups cake. and That's salads for lunch. Egg salad. We have a number of salads. Yogurt, um, fresh fruit, and cereal for salad. snacks. Today I have Cheerios. And a quart of milk. Medically tailored meals date back to the late 80s, a response to the HIV-AIDS crisis. Good evening. The disease has already claimed more victims than Legionnaire's disease and toxic shock syndrome combined. Well, one of the things that uh, most people don't know about the history of HIV and AIDS is that in the early years, the majority of people were actually dying of malnutrition. More than 800 cases nationwide, 300 plus of those fatal. And every day, three more cases are identified. And yet, it's what's still, called AIDS wasting syndrome. So, food was the only medicine, and it was in those days literally about as many calories as possible. Over the last 30 years, medically tailored meals have evolved. Community servings, for example, has gone from treating men with HIV AIDS to providing food for 35 different conditions, including diabetes, heart failure, and cancer. Typically, a patient is referred to us through their care manager or their doctor, nurse, social worker. From that, we determine if they're sick enough to need our meals program. The problem is that programs like community servings can't raise the money fast enough to meet the demand. We're always faced with a waiting list of sick, hungry patients who need our meals and we don't have the resources. So, David, a lot of the money to go to your program has come from philanthropic dollars and federal grants. Now you've actually managed to persuade a few insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts to start buying in. How did you convince insurers to actually pay for food? When community servings first um, went to the healthcare community and said, you should be paying us to feed your patients, they rightfully so, said, well, we understand it on an emotional level or an intellectual level, but on a financial level, we would need to see you know, a proven return on investment. And rather than be intimidated by that, community servings went out and uh, found an exceptional researcher whose field is food insecurity and health and partnered with him initially in a very small study and then two larger, more ambitious studies that have now been published in peer-reviewed journals. And what was the case that you made? What, what, was the, what was the evidence that you said, look, if you give certain patients medically tailored meals, you're going to be able to, one, improve their health, and two, you might even actually be able to save money? We definitely think you can save money. Our research published this spring in JAMA Internal Medicine with 800 patients saw a 16% reduction in overall health care costs per member per month net of the cost of meals. That study was done by Seth Berkowitz at the University of North Carolina. He compared people who got community servings meals to very similar patients who didn't and found that these meals cut hospital visits, ambulance rides, and trips to the ER nearly in half. The results have made an impression on the skeptics. We're hearing from a number of healthcare organizations around the country where uh, the term medically tailored meals uh, is familiar to them, which it wasn't only two or three years ago. I think that we expect that 50% of our patients will be fed through their health insurance in, within the next five years. That's a pretty bullish estimate. Why are you so confident in that? Well, right now it's about 20%, Dan. Um, so we've only been doing this for three years, and it's still a relatively new concept. 
Uh, and I want to caution that when we talk about providing medically tailored meals, it's never that we think healthcare should feed everybody. For a small sliver of the population, those are the folks where it would make sense on a financial level to be feeding them. Bottom line, medically tailored meals are a pretty expensive intervention, right? We're talking 20 to 60 bucks a day per patient. So what's the case, David? What's the argument that you're going to make why health insurers and healthcare providers should actually be footing the bill for this? I would challenge the assumption that this is expensive. I think if you look at other government feeding programs, whether they're Meals on Wheels, uh, programs for seniors, or school nutrition programs, yes, medically tailored meals are expensive. But compared to any other healthcare intervention, they're cheap. A one night in the hospital is, you know, four to five thousand dollars. The prescriptions that we take, uh, it wouldn't be unusual to have an expensive treatment that costs twenty-five dollars a day. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The case people like David are making is starting to land with some payers like Dr. Mandy Cohen. Mandy is the Secretary of Health and Human Services for North Carolina and oversees the state's Medicaid program that primarily provides care to low-income residents and people with disabilities. The federal government has granted North Carolina a waiver to spend $650 million to experiment with paying for programs with some research behind them, including housing assistance, help with transportation, and food. Mandy understands how foundational food as medicine actually can be. I saw a patient when I was uh, training in Boston. She had insurance. She was a full-time student. And she was having some medical symptoms. And based on those symptoms, I ran a lot of tests. Blood tests were normal. The CAT scan were normal. And I was talking to my mentor to say, well, what should I do next? The nurse who checked in the patient heard us debating this, and she said, you know, I think you need to ask your patient if she has enough to eat. That was an incredibly horrible moment as a doctor because I was asking her questions about her past medical history and her medications, and and I didn't ask her a fundamental question about did she have enough to eat. But I spent a lot of dollars a lot of health care dollars billed to her insurance company on blood tests and CAT scans that didn't need to get spent if I had only gotten to the root of the issue, which was she did not have enough to eat. Thank you, Mandy. It's clear, as you just said, as your story shows, food is critical for our health. In your mind, when it comes to these medically tailored meals, how persuaded are you that they can both lower costs and improve care. I think there are there is some benefit for certain populations, but 
I don't want to say that they're the only thing out there. And I, I encourage you to be broader in how we think about um, what are the interventions we can do for folks that are food insecure. If you look at the data around SNAP enrollment, it works. SNAP is what food stamps are now called. Yeah, so it decreases Medicare and Medicaid costs. It decreases hospitalization use. It increases school performance for our kids, right? That matters. Those are the tangible benefits of enrolling in SNAP. I think medically tailored meals has its own evidence base. It doesn't mean they have to trade off against each other. And that's exactly what your pilot program in North Carolina is doing, right? Testing out several different interventions. So when it comes to medically tailored meals, who do you think is the most likely patient? My expectation is that when we pay for medically tailored meals, it is going to be a very, very small subset of patients. It's going to be for those that are homebound, more medically complex, and have a food-related health need like diabetes or something where food is very tailored. But I think this is exactly what our study is meant to suss out. So what you're talking about right now is really important, right? Yes, there are people who need SNAP benefits. They need to get enrolled in that program. There are other people who would really benefit from some sort of like food box, some donation box. And then you've got the people who really are better suited for a medically tailored meal intervention. But I think the really tricky part, Mandy, is probably figuring out who is who. So what steps are you guys going to take to really try to, like, figure that out and, like, get into the weeds of understanding people like this? You are 100 percent right. That is the hard part here is to understand the signal to noise. And as a public servant and as a steward of taxpayer dollars, I need to make sure that we are using our dollars efficiently as we move forward here. We know that food interventions matter towards health, so we want to invest here. The question is, who needs the most expensive kind of intervention, like a medically tailored meal, or who needs help enrolling in an existing program like SNAP, which is a less expensive intervention? And I think our job is to understand um, and learn through our pilot here in North Carolina what populations we need, what kind of intervention, so we can use our resources most judiciously. So you're talking about the need to be a good steward of the taxpayer dollar. And you and your staff spend a lot of time talking about the need for some sort of real-time program evaluation and moving on from the stuff that doesn't work. It seems to me that it's pretty possible that some people who get these meals, the food could just like pile up in the fridge or somebody might want to share the food with other people who live in the household. So as you guys conduct your assessments, how are you going to make sure that the food is getting into the hands of the people who really need it most? It's a great question, and those are some of the things that we're trying to infuse into the the design of the program as we go, um, which is why we are probably going to put more emphasis on on meals that are delivered by by humans that that actually then interact with that person to see and, and actually walk into their home and see, is it piling up into the fridge and actually have the conversation, you know, is this food enough for you or are you sharing it with your grandkids, right? And, and like actually have those honest conversations with folks. And I would say that just because these issues are complicated and hard and they are doesn't mean we shouldn't take those first steps forward to try to detangle some of these hard issues and learn what we can. So we are going to have to learn and say, you know what, that didn't work. We're not going to be able to keep investing in that. We may have to shut that that 
intervention down and, and move on to something else that is, is showing more promise as we evaluate. North Carolina is not the only place that's experimenting with medically tailored meals. You've got a number of states, Texas, Tennessee, California. They've all got some sort of level of pilot program up and running. Are we at a tipping point, Mandy? Like, if we start to see some real positive results here, do you think that this could start to really get adopted widely around the country? And not for everybody, right? Not all patients, but at least some this subset of patients that we've been talking about? I do think that we have a fair amount of evidence still to develop in the, the near term, but I do think over the, the medium to long term, you are going to see more food interventions, whether that's medically tailored meals or other kinds of interventions, be part of the suite of activities that our healthcare dollars pay for um, because we want our healthcare dollars to pay for health. And we know that intervening around food drives us closer to getting health. What you just said, that food drives us closer to getting health, it may sound intuitive, but it's actually a pretty radical idea. At least in this country, right, hospitals and insurers have not historically paid for food, like actually paid for food. I think as we mature the evidence of what interventions to what folks, that we are going to see more payers, more insurance companies, more payers from the state perspective, actually use their health care dollars to pay for things in the food space because it improves health and reduces costs. As you think about the rollout of this program, Mandy, is this sort of on a personal level, is part of it an opportunity to make amends for the patient that you treated so long ago back in Boston? Absolutely. You know, I spent a lot of healthcare dollars, but didn't ask her a fundamental question about her health, which is, do you have enough food to eat? And I want to use all of my power that I can to make sure that we don't make that mistake again. And I don't think that was because I was a bad doctor or because I didn't care. I didn't have the right system around me to ask those questions routinely and to be able to connect her to resources. And so we're going to be trying to build that system here in North Carolina, and it's not easy, and it's going to take time. Um, and there's certainly thorny issues that we'll work through as we unravel some of these long siloed programs, but we, we know what we're aiming for, which is health. Mandy Cohen, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you, Dan. If this current crop of projects, like in North Carolina, deliver better care and save money, we may soon see insurance companies do something at scale that was hard to imagine just 10 years ago, pay for people's meals. But that's likely for just a tiny number of patients. When it comes to the 14 million people who experience food insecurity, the future is murkier. Yes, some hospitals and insurers supporting SNAP signups, food pharmacies, and organic gardens is a sign that food is getting more attention. But we're a long way from the day where these other food programs are going to be prescribed and paid for like medicine. If you want to check out the research on medically tailored meals and other food as medicine programs for yourself, you can do that at tradeoffs.org. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs, and happy Thanksgiving.
please pass the cranberry sauce? Did anybody bring a tofurkey for me? Yeah, the one in the shape of a can. Mr. Duckin's a little dry. What do you mean you didn't make ravioli this year? All right, everybody, pipe down, okay? We're going to eat in a second. But a few brief expressions of gratitude. I'm thankful for editor Vicki Stearns. I'm thankful for research assistant Safa Brown and the triple word score. So I would say what I'm most thankful for is producer Ryan Levy and Chai T for keeping me alive. <laughs> I'm thankful for technical director Adam Yaffe and the Great British Bake Off. I'm thankful for all our listeners and their outstanding reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts. My list is a bit longer. That's okay. Go for it, girl. I'm thankful for Dr. Rita Nguyen, Lachman Hiralal, Sherry Weiser, Sissy Bonini, Neil Curran, Dr. Sangeeta Hingarani, Kelly Fisher, Alyssa Avanan, Andrea Telhami, Katie Garfield, Jean Terranova, Sarah Downer, Kristen Sukies, Seth Berkowitz, Catherine Drennan, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. I'm thankful that Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I'm thankful that additional support comes from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed here are those of the individuals and not those of trade-offs, staff, advisors, or funders, for which I am also thankful. Okay, let's eat. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.